been so long. Are we back? I think we're back. We're, <laughs> I think we're back. We're back! Hey, everybody. It's, it's, uh, who am I? Oh, <laughs> DJ Crystal Clear, right. And we're here with uh, episode 18 of Original Versus Cover. And I'm here back at uh, As It Should Be Studios in Crooklyn with engineer extraordinaire Dr. Paul Bertolino. Oh, shit. Ow, shit. And, uh, yes, we've been on a hiatus uh, because the world has turned. Things have changed. In case they didn't know. Things have changed, huh? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, yes, episode 18. So we're going to get right in here with song number one. And the song is called Shining Star. And the original was done by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, there's our ride. Ambulance. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, 1975. And I have two covers of this. Believe it or not, people actually covered this song. The first one is by Striper in, in 1990. And the second one is by Chaka Khan that was done in 2007. So... I didn't even know that anybody ever covered this song. Did you know about this, Paul? Um, no, I didn't. Somebody, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of excuse me. I'm I'm doing some technical things while you're speaking, and sorry. so I only kind of caught a little of that. But so you're talking about covers of "Shining Star" by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Correct. No, I didn't know. Yeah, I was. I had no idea, and the last band I would ever expect to cover "Earth, Wind, and Star" would be Striper. Yeah, I I. I would go one further and to say one of the last bands I would want to, to hear <laughs> would be Striper. Yeah. 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 And Chaka Khan. Uh okay. I don't remember what album this was in two thousand seven. Oh, it's probably post I Feel For You, I would imagine. Oh, way, way post I Feel For You, yeah. Uh I mean, you know, Chaka Khan, she can sing the fucking phone book. It's great. But um yeah, so Striper, for for you for those of you you kids out there in podcast land who don't know who Striper is. They were, slash are, I don't know if they still exist, a heavy metal band that everything was, uh, it was like Bumblebee Stripes, right? They were yellow and black stripes. Well, yeah, and I think their first album, I believe, was called The Yellow and Black Attack. That's correct. And they were into the Bible. Yes. And somehow Striper comes from the Bible somehow. I think that's how they got their name. Probably. I mean, they're, yeah, they're all Christians, and it's Christian metal. There was yeah. a whole Christian metal movement. There were other bands like Baron Cross, who were also in that genre. <laughs> who? Baron Bar- Cross? Bar- Bar- Baron Cross. Ba- B- oh, Baron. B-A-R-R-E-N E-N. Cross. Oh, Baron Cross. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I, mm, I miss them. All right. But I remember Striper opening for some metal band that I saw. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. They Called were the LA. opener. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were the opener, and they threw Bibles out into the audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was their steez, man. That was man. their shtick. That's yes. what they did. And so, yeah, Striper. All right. Uh, yeah, so if you've never heard of them, you know, Google them if you dare. And listen to one song, because that's all you're going to need to listen to. Yeah. And but, then, oh, by the way, in answer oh. to the question you kind of posed uh, out to the wind, oh. they do still exist, and they do still make albums. Oh, shit. Really? Yes. yes. Whoa. Wow. That's crazy. All right. Uh, and then Chaka Khan, 
you know, she's Chaka Khan. She can sing the phone book, whatever. Um, so, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. So the Chaka Khan version to me, it's kind of a song like other bands. Like, I feel like this is maybe something she ran during rehearsals and was like, oh, let me put it on a record kind of deal. Right. Like, why would you on purpose do... I mean, who knows? I mean, why would she have done I Feel For You by Prince? Well, he... Well, that was like... He wanted her to do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. He asked her to do that, actually. Okay. Well, um, so that was... That wasn't a, That was an album track at the time, too. That wasn't a single. Single, yeah. Um, it's kind of weird. All right, so... We're going to listen to both of these. Well, all th- well, all three of them. You're going to hear all three of them. We only need to listen to two. <laughs> and uh, and come back and then we'll give our thoughts. Okay, so 
All right, so tell me your thoughts, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, something, what's funny is uh, we, we, we just had to listen to the, the two cover versions, right? And the first one that Crystal played was the Striper version. And at first, I wasn't sure which one it was because there's a little lick, guitar lick in there that sounds just the fuck like Rufus. Mm-hmm. Like a straight-up Rufus guitar part in the Striper version. Yes. And... And then, of course, it, it just sort of descends into, you know, <laughs> yeah, it just becomes exactly what you're hearing in your head without having heard it yet. Yes. And, um, and the thing about somebody like Striper doing this, it seems weird, but also I find that a lot of, me- I, I know a lot of metalheads who like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Really? Like my friend, my friend, John, shout out to Jonathan Fenno. All right. Jonathan, the Kiss guy. You met Jonathan in Jonathan, Napa. Jonathan, yes. The biggest Kiss fan on the, in the solar fist, system. Kiss fans since Gene Simmons. <laughs> and yeah. all, he's all metal. I mean, that guy likes... Yeah, I mean, he loves... He more, sorry, I had coffee, guys, so I'm stumbling over my words. <laughs> okay. So, you know, he worships Merciful Fate and everything, on down to fucking slaughter. Mm. But he worships Earthwind and Fire. Like, he loves them. They're like one of his favorite bands. Really? He also loves the Bee Gees. Really? Yeah. This is interesting. And then there's the other version, the, the, the Chaka Khan version. I mean, it's good. It sounds a little like, like I mentioned when we were listening to it, it sounds a little like it's a Stevie Wonder version with yeah. her on vocals. And it distinctly sounds like it might be 90s or later because her, vo- her voice sounds a little older and it sounds a little processed, you know, the way vocals were processed later on. It was 2007. Okay, yeah, it's, it sounds newer. Yeah. Not just her voice, but just the sound of the track sounds Oh, yeah. It's bright. It's really illuminated to me. I, The Striper, yes, that guitar lick jumped right out at me. Yeah, you heard, like, you heard the Rufus. The, yes, the, I was like, wait a minute. You got is, the love. <laughs> yeah, lick, you know? totally. And f- that was 1990 when they did that. So I'm just wondering. Uh, it just seems so incongruent. But it sort of works. In a way, yeah, like they're they're pretty fucking funky for Striper. I wouldn't expect them yeah. to have been that funky, so it was it was okay. It wasn't as disastrous as I thought it would be initially, and the Chaka Khan version to me is very Stevie Wonder, like you said, and it's also it's like a it's like Rufus because it's yeah. got the wow 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 uh, the vocal thing with the thing in the mouth. What is that? Oh, the talk box thing. Yeah. The talk box. And Shout then, out to Peter Frampton. Yes, and then her like eight hundred layered backing vocal thing. Harm, sure, you know. Um, I, to me, it sounds like Rufus. Kind of, yeah. Rufus as produced or arra- and or arranged by Stevie Wonder. Wonder, yes. So, uh, I wanted I wanted to hate the Striper more, but I don't hate it that much. Well, yeah, it's not that bad, and the Chaka Khan version is good, but. See, Earth, Wind, and Fire is one of those bands that you don't need covers no. by anybody. Not even by fucking Chaka Khan. Not even by Stevie Wonder. Wonder. They're, they're just, one of those bands where you just... The version you need to hear exists. That's it. That's it. Just yeah. leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, again, I don't understand why either one of them chose to do this. For what? Why? Like, I understand wanting to cover songs that may be a challenge... For some musicians, like, you're a wicked guitar player, but there's that one thing that you 
fuck, you know, I really want to learn how to play this song or whatever. I, I get that, but this is just like, you don't, they're completely unnecessary. So who the winner is, you know. I mean, come on. Earth, Wind, and Fire, obviously. Duh. You can't, you just can't touch it. You can't, you can't. And I feel bad for the ghost of Maurice White. <laughs> I don't. He's kicking ass. Well, yeah, he's kicking ass from beyond the grave, and, you know, whoever is in charge of his estate is making money. Good for them, but, yeah, it just it's hands down, it's Earth, Wind, and Fire. And for people who have not heard that song ever, or you haven't listened to it in a long time, I implore you, if you have headphones, listen to it with headphones on, and turn it up as loud as you can stand it, because... You will hear things that you did not hear 30, 40 years ago that are going to come out. And I'm not saying listen to an updated, remastered version. Just listen to the old original one, and it's just, it's fucking incredible. People yeah, there's a lot of on. stuff in those mixes. <clears throat> and it isn't 10,000 tracks right. layered on each other. They just have a big band playing in that room. Yep. Miked perfectly. Just yeah. so fucking great. All right. Song number two is Mary Mary. Now, you may already know this, Paul, because you're an expert on this. Do you know who did the original version of this song? Uh, we are talking about the Mike Nesmith song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know what? I may not know this. I want to say Glenn Campbell, but no, he's just on the track. He's on the monkey's track. Right. You know what? Yeah, I I may not know this. All right. You, you may I'm you may be you. you may be stumping stump the trunk. Well, the original version that was released was by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Oh, you know what? I did not know that. I did not know that from their 1966 album East West. Okay, I th- Mike think... produced it. Okay, well that well that would explain that. See, I think I knew that that version existed. Yeah. But I did not know that was. That predated the Monkees version. Yeah, that was the original one. And for people who are not familiar with Paul Butterfield Blues Band, um, yeah, Mike Nesmith produced it, and it features Mike Bloomfield. Everybody knows who Mike Bloomfield is, right? He yeah. played with Bob Dylan, Highway 61. He was with them at the Newport uh, Folk Festival. And uh, Elvin Bishop was also in that band. Wow. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. So I got two covers. The first one is The Monkees <laughs> from More the Monkees in 1967. <laughs> okay, so, oh, I see. So by, 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 as a technicality, by, you're counting The Monkees version yes, as a cover? <laughs> because it was released in 1967. It was released a year later. So does that, so does that mean that um, Carol King's version of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman is a cover? Technically. Hmm. I don't know how I... I, don't know how I Feel How about I that? feel about that. I mean, you really, you know, you really could argue either way, and I don't know which school I'm in. If it's a cover because that version was later, or if it's, I mean, it wasn't the original recording, but it's the artist who wrote the song. Yeah, I don't know. How do you, I know, but how do, you I, do that? I well, I'm just doing it by when it was released, the date released. Yeah, That's okay. my criteria. Yeah. And also, I know a lot of people probably to this day who didn't know that Carol King wrote it, and maybe heard her version and thought that it, you know, well, that's a Aretha Franklin song. You know what I mean? Like, right. whatever. Well, I mean, let's be real. For all intents and purposes, it, that is a fucking is Aretha Franklin song. song. Yeah, she <laughs> and Carol King will tell you that. Yes. Yes, she has. <laughs> she will. And then uh, the second cover is by Run DMC from their album Tougher Than Leather, 1987. Do you remember hearing that? Mary Mary, Why You Buggin'. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. So the Paul Butterfield Blues Band version, I, yeah, I just stumbled upon this. I did not know. And it's the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. You'll, when you listen to it, yeah. Um, and then the Monkeys version is the Monkeys. <laughs> that, and that's the one you've heard. That's the one we've heard. Everybody's heard that, hopefully. And then the Run DMC, a lot of people have heard that because it was, it was a big hit for them. So we're going to listen to them and then, uh, and then come back. So, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, the cadence is so weird. It's almost like it's playing backwards. And the, you know, do, 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 the piano thing, it's so weird to me. Hippies, it's a hippie. Well, I feel like the piano is uh, doing the. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the Glenn Campbell guitar part. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it just seems weird as a piano. I don't know. Um, hippies. There you go. Hippies. Can't trust them. Can't trust them as long as you can Can't trust them. them. Can't wash them. Can't wash them. <laughs> can't do anything with them. Fucking hippies. And then the monkeys, you know, it's great. It's the monkeys. And as Paul said, uh, that was not the monkeys playing on it that was the wrecking crew so mike as i said produced this and the wrecking crew for those kids who don't know james burton well i'll go down the thing so mickey sang on it obviously and then peter tork played guitar james burton glenn campbell al casey mike deasy and don peak michael cohen played piano larry knetchel and bob west played the bass Hal Blaine and Jim Gordon played the drums, and Carrie Coleman was on percussion. 
Yeah, and Nesmith produced that session. I don't think he doesn't get credit on the record for having produced no. it, I don't think. But he actually produced it. Yep. I have one of those super deluxe box sets of the More of the Monkeys album, which is the album of the Monkeys that has that song. And there's some session stuff on it. And there's actually a track, a fly in the wall track of Nesmith producing the vocals of that. Oh, you hear him talking? You hear him talking. Oh, no. Oh, yes. No, Mickey, do this. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Oh, word. It's oh. really cool. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, and everybody should know that the Wrecking Crew played on every fucking song from <laughs> for every band for a long time. Indeed. Indeed. So then the Monkees' Mary Mary, um, it was the single, it was given away as a cutout cereal box prize in 1969. Singles were released in other countries, including Australia, where the local... RCA release was a number five hit in 1968. And, it, you know, it's like, meh. I love the guitar in this, the way that it's arranged, and the sound of it. Like, it's kind of muted, sort of. It's not that loud or that bright. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, it's a jamming song. You do your hippie shake to it. And then the Run DMC cover, where some people argued a lot that it was not a cover but obviously it was because it was like 99.9% of the fucking song except they rapped over it so it was a rap rock version um released as a single from their fourth album Tougher Than Leather in 1988 uh produced by the group with Rick Rubin it was their most successful single from the album being the only one to make it to the Billboard Hot 100 peaking at 75 and peaking at 29 on the Hot Black Singles chart. That sounds wrong. Hot Black Singles, <laughs> that sounds dirty. Um, Run DMC changed the line, Mary, Mary, where you going to? To Mary, Mary, why you bugging? You know. Um, they replaced Michael Nesmith's original lyrics with a new set of lyrics on their own. Nesmith was the only writer credited on the single. And oh, they really? also sampled Mickey Dolan's for the chorus, you know. Right. Um, so who wins? Who wins for you? Oh, well, come on. <laughs> Run DMC, obviously. Run DMC, obviously. <laughs> no, no, the Monkees, <laughs> yeah. you know. The Monkees, they, they made that track their own. They did. I, it's a hell of a lot better than Paul Butterfield's Blues Band. You know, I'm okay, I, I'm okay with that Paul Butterfield Blues Band version. All but, right. you know, as, as you know, but none of our listeners know, because they haven't been privy to our recent conversations, right. <laughs> some of that mid-60s, you know, <laughs> San Francisco-ish, you know, hippie, you know, Haight-Ashbury shit, eh, you know, I like it. You're a product of your environment. Yeah, I'm a product of my environment, and... Uh, That's okay. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Paul Butterfield Blues Band, mainly because I think I just don't have the records and haven't really listened to them, but, uh, yeah, I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it, I'll leave it. I don't like it. It sounds like it was recorded in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the sound. That's the sound. Well, that's the sound. Yeah, I yeah. hate it. And, uh, yeah. Mary, Mary. I just stop it. <laughs> it's just, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I recently, I recently had her, we had a, we had a, conversation recently about Quicksilver Messenger Service, and she goes, well, I'm going to go listen to this album, and I said, you know, listen to the first one, I guess, and so she did, and, uh, yeah, yeah. It didn't go well. And this is kind of part and parcel of that. Right. You told me I wasn't going to like it, and I believed you, and I hated it. <laughs> so I was wrong. It wasn't that you didn't like it, you hated it. <laughs> I hated it. I did not like it. I actually hated it, and, 
But as you know, and people who really know me, I do not poo-poo things unless I try it first. As long as it's not going to hurt me, I will try it. (laughs) And I tried it, and I don't like it. So that's that. All right, song number three, which is called I Don't Need No Doctor. Now, Paul, Dr. Bertolino, who did the first version of this? Well, um, I don't know because, I mean, the earliest one I think that I know of is the Humble Pie version. Mm. But surely theirs wasn't the first. It was not. The original version of this was recorded by Nick Ashford. Oh, of, of Ashford and Simpson fame. That is correct. He and Valerie wrote this song. Okay. Which I did not know. Um... And that was uh, that was in the that was in the sixties, early sixties. I I couldn't find a date for it actually because it was it went nowhere, which is why nobody knows this. <laughs> Only Steve Marriott knew it. <laughs> the, basically, yeah. And the first cover was done by Ray Charles in nineteen sixty six. You've heard that one though, right? Um, I you know I don't think I have. No, no. And then Humble Pie in nineteen seventy one. Right. And then. Uh, well, I mean, but the, see, now the Ray Charles version, that really wasn't some big hit either. It wasn't a huge hit, but I remember hearing it a lot when I was growing up. You heard it on the radio? I heard it on the radio. I don't think I've ever heard it on the radio. Yeah, it was on the radio. Um, WDAS in Philadelphia played it all the time. My parents played it. I remember it through the 70s being played. It was popular. I mean, maybe if I heard it, I'd go, oh, yeah, but I mean, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Ray Charles in 66, Humble Pie in 71, and then New Riders of the Purple Sage mm-hmm. in 1972, Wasp in 1986, Great White in 1987, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> some weirdo garage band called the Nomads in 1989, and then Joe Cocker did it live at Woodstock, and the Sonics did it in 2015 with their that their comeback album sort of thing. And Styx actually covered it. Ah, interesting. But How Styx crazy. didn't do it on an album. Did they do it on a live album? They did it on a live album. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, why would Styx do that? Um, I sort of get it, but not really. So anyway. They did the Broadway version, Styx. Uh, right. <laughs> Rock in the Paradise, yes. So the original version by Nick Ashford... It's just, it's not, he shouldn't have done it. <laughs> he should have written it and handed and it handed over. And handed it over to somebody because it's so, he's singing it out of his wheelhouse. It's too high for him. Like, he can sing high notes. But the way he's trying to sustain it throughout this thing is just, he's straining and it just sounds terrible. And you hear Valerie doing the backing vocals basically with, like, maybe two other girls behind her. But, you you know, you definitely know it's her. And it's... Um, you know, it kind of chugs along in a 60s vibe thing, and it's a little churchy, kind of, church. Um, but as you listen to it, it gets harder to listen to as it, as it goes on. So the Ray Charles cover in 1966, it's the same arrangement as the original, but it's in a lower key, Ray Charles's key. And it has some Barry Sachs in there, and he owns it. It's got brass and the Ray Letts and... It's really, it's swinging, it's good. Well, Ray Charles doesn't 
yeah. half-ass anything. anything. Right. So he doesn't fuck around. Then the humble pie, you know, rock guitars, you know, screaming the lead vocal. Right. You it's hear, full Led Zeppelin. Yeah, you hear Peter Frampton doing the chorus. Who was the lead singer? Was it Marriott? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's white boys getting funky, I guess. And then the Wasp version in 1986. <laughs> I mean, I imagine I already know what that sounds like. Because <laughs> yeah. I know how awful of a singer Blackie Lawless is. Right, and metal guitars, yeah. you know. Um, his vocal is all right. It's in his range, but it's a big yawn because they're basically trying to be humble pie. They're just doing the humble pie arrangement of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much the same. And the Sonics in 2015, it's a combination of Ray Charles and the, like the Sonics trying to do the Ray Charles version. You know, because the Sonics is like that whole 60s vibe. Yeah, yeah. They have horn, the Barry Sacks all the time and... Um, it's faster. Uh, it's the Sonics, you yeah. know, horns. So we're gonna listen to these, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then pick uh, a winner. We're gonna be spared the great white version. Yes, we're spa- <laughs> I'm gonna spare you the great white version. Uh, it's so terrible. Uh.
frat boys can still fucking rock, man. They can still wail, yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. The thing about the Sonics, they just look like I just expect them to be in the in the frat house on Animal House. <laughs> you know, that's what they that's what they look like to me. But they were like the fucking the hardest rocking band yeah, in existence. Ever. So fucking great. Yeah. Love them. But are we back? We're back. Oh, we're back. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, what do you think? Well, who's the winner? Oh, that, that's that's hard because the, I I would say there are more. It's hard to pick a winner through that. It's it's just very easy to pick losers, which would be <laughs> the original and Wasp. Yeah, like the other three versions are good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the Ray Charles version is good. I mean, obviously the fucking Humble Pie version is a classic. And man, I think the Sonics version kind of smokes. It smokes. Yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> just pick the two losers. So uh, yeah. that's that's tough. I, I'm just gonna say that uh, Ashford and Wasp lose. They do. And Wasp loses loses. I'll take the Ashford version over. Over that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Wasp. I never got them. I never. Why? Uh, who yeah. likes them? Who liked them? They they have fans. I know. They have fans. I mean, my friend Jonathan Fenno, who loves Earth, Wind, and Fire, I guarantee you he likes Wasp. There's nothing... They were one of those metal bands where they came in at a time where it was like, let's cookie cut another something, and then it's like, oh, they put a fucking disc saw on his crotch. Oh, you know, oh my God. Bleh. But you know, Blackie Lawless, though, he wasn't like some random new guy on the scene like he'd been around i mean he was he was hanging out with ace fraley on kiss tours in the 70s oh really there's like yeah i have pictures that are from the internet of him in the 70s just like hanging out in the hotel with with fraley you know on like the love gun tour really yeah so he was like a guy about town for fucking years before wasp was a thing i never i'd never heard of him before and He just, his whole look was bad. The hair was terrible. His face, (laughs) not good. The outfits. Yeah. He just seemed to be shoehorned into that. Yes. Like, it just didn't seem, Well, he he didn't seem happy. He seemed miserable. Like, every picture of him, he always had a sourpuss on. He always seemed angry and not happy. Uh, Well, I've never met him, but I understand he is a bit of a prick. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all. He just seems like a total sourpuss. And here you are in front of hundreds of thousands of people at these shows, chicks throwing themselves at you, I don't know why, and you're still mad. He's one of those guys, he has one of those bodies where he has really skinny legs, but a little bit of a bloated middle. Chicken legs. Chicken legs with like a bit of a barrel A little, like a pear on toothpicks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he wore exactly the wrong clothes one for for that type of a body. Yeah. Like he could he could have worn he could have worn leather jeans or something. Why did it have to be spandex? Cuz it was 1983 I mean, or 5 or yeah, whatever it was and uh, know, that's just, what that's just what you did. So not good. It was so so not good. Uh, um, those dudes came into Tower one day. They did it in store when I was at Tower Sunset for those of you who don't know or forgot uh 80 86 or something and uh yeah they okay and you were just saying yeah they were yeah it was 86 or whatever when they came in oh right yeah they came into tower 
for an in-store. And they were all total assholes. And they were sweaty. And <laughs> well, was uh, it was it July? Um I don't really remember. I just remember that they seemed to be you know, they were hungover or whatever, oh, sure. wasted as, you know, they had just woken up. They just half woke an hour. up, rolled out, you know, the makeup was bad, the spandex was too tight, they were all flop sweaty. <laughs> and I didn't at first I was looking at the other dudes. I mean, I only knew Lawless because of his hair and his face. The other guys I just they could have been anybody. And they're all just being dicks, you know, like, where's my chair? You know, there are green M&Ms in this bowl, like that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. Well, and Chris just, Holmes is was the blonde guitar player, and he's especially a prick. Oh, really? Yeah. I just thought, who do you guys, you're, you're Wasp. You're not Led Zeppelin, right? Just yeah. shut up. They were dicks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just you're, hate... You're wasp. <laughs> you're wasp. Yeah, so there you go. End of argument. Yeah, you're wasp. you're wasp. <laughs> well, actually, I want to point out, my friend Dale, he used to refer to them, because they spelled their name W-A-S-P with periods, periods. as though it stood for something. He goes, what does that stand for? We are stupid posers. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I forgot about the anagram shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, man. We are stupid posers. That is a winner. That is a winner. So, for me, who wins this? For me, it's uh, Ray Charles first. Um, I like the Humble Pie version, but Mar- I don't like his screaming, Marriott. I Generally it, or just on that track? On that track. It kind of works my nerves. So, I will give it to Ray Charles and the Sonics. And considering that that album was made, that Sonics record was 2015, for people who don't know the Sonics, you need to listen to their old albums from... Early early 60s. Early 60s. Yeah. And they swing so hard, and they're so... They're just... They just kill. Yeah. They're practically... They're basically practically punk. Yes. You know, when when Iggy Pop was still being driven to his second grade class. Exactly. Yeah. Just hard and the saxes and wow, just the screaming. And they're so fucking great. Um, One of my best friends, Linda, in L.A., when I worked at Wacko, uh, after, was it before I was at Tower? After Tower, I forget. But uh, this was when Wacko was on Melrose Avenue. And... The crew that worked there it was Linda and this girl named Zebra. I don't remember what her real name was. And uh, I forget the other people who worked with us. But Linda and I became friends. And they turned me on to the Sonics. I had heard the name before and maybe heard them on my college radio station in high school or something. But they were really into them. And I was like, oh, fuck, these guys are really great. That's how I got into the Sonics. So, yeah, that's who wins that. Yeah. All right. Song number four is I Get Lifted, all right? And the original was done by George McRae, who everybody knows from what song, Paul? Rock you, baby. Thank you very much. He is 76 years old. He's still alive, which is great. And uh, the cover, well, I got two covers. Um, Casey and the Sunshine Band. They put it out in 1975, a couple months after George McRae. And Casey and George McRae had a weird sort of thing that I'd heard about years ago, 
kind of a rivalry thing, but not really. It's just, it's very weird. It's kind of muddy. Uh, but was it like a friendly rivalry thing where I they th- were kind of in competition, but they were friends and would help each other? I think, yeah, sort of. You know? Kind of almost frenemies, but not quite. <laughs> right. Ish. Yeah. Um, and then the other cover is by Barbara Tucker, which was uh, made in 1994. So the original version is this slow and slinky and sexy where he's talking to this chick. Um, you know, your love lifts me, I get lifted. And to me, it is an early precursor to house music because it is keyboard oriented. It's not guitar or um, or rhythm section oriented. It's the so keyboard. it has that breakdown where it goes dun 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 <laughs> well, the original doesn't, but the cover by Barbara Tucker does. Uh, of course. Because that it turned into an actual house music hit, and it was produced by Little Louis Vega, so right. there you go. And you have to have that part in every fucking house music song. song. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Casey and the Sunshine Band cover, it's verbatim, except he changes it to, he changes one lyric um yeah but it's basically the same so we're gonna listen to these and then paul will pick the one he hates the most (laughs) (laughs) and uh and then we'll pick a winner Bring out the love 
Oh, fuck's sake. I love it. <laughs> you know, that, that genre is just... Can't you just smell the poppers? Well, it's just like... That, 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 is, a, that is a music genre for people who don't like music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's, um, it's gay disco but, music. Uh, I mean, that's all fun and dandy, but, I mean, every single track is the same track. Yeah, it's basically... Every, it's identical. Yes, Every little, and it isn't even just in a general, like every little nuance is exactly the same, same in every track. It's like, it's the easiest genre to make music in because you don't actually have to record a new track. You just have to change the title on the one existing track. Right. <laughs> and, and then there's your new single. Yeah. Change the the you arrangement know. ever so slightly. Change the vocal a little bit. Oh, this is a woman. Put a dude in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, as a DJ, I hate playing house music and people think that i'm insane and probably people don't like me for it but i don't care because as a dj to me it's so fucking boring because it's the exact same thing over and over and over yeah like there are a couple of songs like finally by cc peniston you know that one finally it has happened to me right yeah how the hell how am i supposed to know this <laughs> i forgot i'm sorry um, <laughs> because it's so distinct because it's so different paul you should have heard this um there are a couple of house music tracks that i like but and i'm not no shade to frankie knuckles or chicago or anybody like live and let live if you like it that's great but for me i can't stand it and when in the days where i would go out dancing I'm not listening to... I can't dance to house music all the time because it's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Like, I need different lyrics. I need, you know, verse, chorus, verse. I need a stop and a start, something. And it's probably because I was not high on poppers all night or on ecstasy or whatever, which is yeah. what a lot of people did when they were in house music clubs. And if, you know, Paradise Garage, the well-known gay disco bar here in the city... Yeah, I used to go there dancing a lot, but not all night. I'm not going to be there from like 10 until 7 in the morning. I can't <laughs> You can do only that. listen to that one song one for One so song long. for 18 hours straight. I can't do it. So I appreciate it, and it's a really, it's a genre, and it needs to be there and all that. But, I mean, yeah, it's just too much. Mm. It's too much. Yeah. So the winner for me is George McRae, because I love... It, this it's slower. KC sped it up, and did basically the you know verbatim. Yeah. Except changing like, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, sh -sh -ah, whatever. It's the top oh. of the season. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, well, the loser is most definitely, Barbara obviously, Tucker. yes, the house version. I mean, I probably would give it to KC personally, just because. Yeah. You know, I mean, see, the thing about KC is that. You can kind of point a finger at him in a way, too. Always sounding the same. Yeah. And so he's definitely one of those guys where I guess, or one of those artists where if you like what he does, then you're just going to like everything, everything he does because it's all the same it's thing. It's pretty much the same, yeah. yeah. You know, and it, if, you, if you play his, play five of those hits back to back, they meld into each other seamlessly because yeah. I've done it at... <laughs> I've well, DJed that shit. That's why Tragedy, our, our buddy's Tragedy, the yes. heavy metal tribute to the Bee Gees and, and beyond, beyond, 
they have a track called KCDC in the Sunshine Band. <laughs> yes. And the whole point of that track is exactly that, yes. that they made one song out of just all of those songs, and they just put them all together as one track. Track, yeah. And it is all just the same thing. It is. Keep it coming, love. Do, 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 yeah. do, 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 do. Except there is the ballad. Please don't go. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Don't go away. Yeah, it's terrible. Oof, that's bad. <clears throat> All right, song number five is The Candyman. Oh, and I'm not talking shit. Christina Aguilera either. Oh, not fuck. that you would know who that is. <laughs> you never heard that. I know, I know who she is, but I don't you know don't her version. That. Yeah. Or, well, or her song. Her it's song, probably a different Candyman's. song. I'm gonna, I would be shocked if she did that particular song. No, her, her song is a send-up of like 1940s Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Talking oh. about some hot dude. And I... I like it because I, it's fun and it's poppy and the video is cute. Whatever, that's just me. So, you know what Candyman I'm talking about. <clears throat> so, I have an original and I have one cover because that's really all you need. Uh, the original version is from the soundtrack to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Candyman, or alternatively, The Candyman was a song that originally appeared in the 1971 film, and I hate Willy Wonka. Paul knows this about me. A lot of people know this about me. I hate that movie, because Gene Wilder looks like a child-molesting creep. I can't get past it. I don't, and the kids are horrible. None of them are likable. None of them are likable. Everybody is mean except for, you know, the man, uh... What's his name? Albert, what's his face? Oh, the old the old grandpa on it, yeah. Yeah, that's the same guy from Chico and the Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, his name is Albert something. Yeah, he's the only nice character in it, and his grandson, uh, right. Willie. The, the kid who, got, who ended up winning. Who got it, yeah. But everybody else is miserable and mean and disgusting and dirty and gross. And Gene Wilder with that weird look on his face the whole time, and I can't stand his hair with the side part <laughs> and the the top hat. Just I hate that movie. Everything about it. Everything about it. I can't stand it. So uh, <clears throat> there's an interesting story b- behind this. So it was written by Leslie Brecuse. No, Leslie West. <laughs> no. The Candy Man. <laughs> you know the whole kind of man. <laughs> you know what I mean. It was written by Leslie Bricuse. I don't know how you pronounce this. B R I C U S S E. Oh, he's a Bricuse. And <clears throat> Anthony Newley. Did oh, you? Anthony Newley. Anthony. Actually, Newley. that that sounds Makes more perfect right. sense, right? Yeah, yeah. He co-wrote it specifically for the film. Although the 1964 book by Roald Dahl, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, contains lyrics. Adopted for other songs in the film, the lyrics to The Candyman do not appear in the book. The soundtrack version of the song was sung by an actor named Aubrey Woods, who played Bill, the candy store owner, in the film. So, there's a little bit of thing here. Anthony Newley has said in interviews that upon hearing Woods' rendition for the first time, he was appalled at the lack of commerciality in the performance. Now think about that. He's mad at the lack of commerciality in his performance, worrying that it would be possibly be depriving the duo of not only a hit record, but an Oscar nomination as well. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony was greedy. His distaste for the performance became so intense 
that he was willing to forego his own performance fee if he were to be allowed to rearrange and re-record the song himself and pay for the session as well. Wow, he meant business. He meant business. When denied by producer David Wolper, due to contractual stipulations by film composer Walter Scharf, newly tried another tactic, lobbying to be allowed to at least redub his own vocal, possibly becoming a ghost voice for Woods. However, Woods' contract forbade that as well. Anthony Newley would record his own version for MGM Records in 1971 prior to Sammy Davis Jr.'s hit. So Anthony Newley was so mad that he didn't get to sing it and that it wasn't sold the way that he felt that it should be sold. It's like, yeah, but it's, it's not his version, so he doesn't get to decide that. Like, I wrote it, and this sucks, and I want it to be my way or the highway. It's like, well, then go make a fucking record and put it on there. Right, which he did, and subsequently was not a hit. Yeah. So the Sammy Davis Jr. version appears on Sammy Davis, Sammy Davis Jr. Now album. Oh, yes. Though Davis admitted to disliking the song, finding it too saccharine. It became his only number one hit, spending three weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100, starting June 10th, 1972, and two weeks at the top of the Easy Listening chart. Billboard ranked it as the number five song for 1972. The track featured backing vocals by the Mike Curb Congregation, who had earlier released their own unsuccessful version of the song. <laughs> it's recognized as one of Davis's signature songs, and The Candyman became his moniker later in his career. The song was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Pop Vocal Performance Male at the 15th Annual Grammy Awards, and Anthony Newley was eating his hat. And Sammy Davis Jr. hated that song. Hated it. Yeah, hated he, it. He was... He was Clenching his teeth singing that song. For the rest of his life. Yeah. Couldn't stand well, it. Well, even, yeah, in the studio, it's like, okay, I'll sing this fucking stupid song, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna be a hit. hit. And then, His boom. only number one. Yep. Like, it was bigger than Mr. Bojangles. That's yeah. kind of crazy. And the album, remember the album? It's, it's yes. it fold The cover folds out into a cardboard poster like the Isaac Hayes album yep. does. And so, yeah, it's that, that painting of him with the orange background, but then the other side, side. is a collage of photos. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he hated every minute of it. Now, this was interesting that I did not know that you probably know. In 2014, Sammy Davis Jr.'s lead vocals from the 1972 original recording were sampled to create a virtual duet with Barry Manilow. Oh, shit. I didn't know about that. Which appeared I was going to say, who, Natalie Cole? Is she fucking is she moving, <laughs> on, moving on to Sammy now? It appeared on Manilow's album, My Dream Duets. Uh, well, you know. What are you gonna I do? I get put put it that way. I can't really begrudge old Barry. But. No, no, it's it's fine. Um, so the Sammy Davis Jr. cover came out in 1972. So now we're gonna listen to these two and uh, pick a winner. <laughs> Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two? The Candyman. The Candyman can. Candyman can. he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Who can take a rainbow, wrap it in a sigh, soak it in the sun and make a strawberry lemon pie? The Candyman. The Candyman. The Candyman can. The Candyman can, cause he mixes it with lava, makes the world taste good. 
Willy Wonka makes everything he bakes satisfying and delicious. Talk about your childhood wishes. You can even eat the dishes. So Anthony Newley was mad because Aubrey didn't sell it like a show tune, but he was acting in a movie and it wasn't, it was, he was being the character. He was being the character. It wasn't like a musical where he's going to jump over the counter and be in a top hat and cane. He's talking to the kids and singing about this Candyman person and that's it. And Anthony Newley, does everybody remember who Anthony Newley was? (laughs) I think you have to be British. Yeah, he was like Broadway baby. Oh, yeah, just, you know, 70s variety shows and whatnot. 60s, you see Ed Sullivan. So, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. wins, obviously. Yeah, I mean, come on. I, yeah. Anthony Newley wishes he could be Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. But hey, Newley can't possibly be too bothered because I. I imagine he, he was money. able to buy five houses off that Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. version. So. Right. And you're... I, yeah, whatever. <clears throat> Anthony Newley. He was butthurt. All right. Oh, and speaking of hurt, song number six is called Hurt. Oh, gee, I wonder... <laughs> I wonder what song this is. Oh, you know. The original was done by Nine Inch Nails from their album The Downward Spiral. Yes. In 1994. It was released as a single in 1995. And the cover is by Johnny Cash. The far more famous version. Yes. Um, So the original is Trent Reznor. Everybody knows Trent Reznor. Everybody knows his whole thing. So it's going to be, you know, altogether ooky. It's got some weird sound in the background underneath the vocal. And he's whispering. And it's quiet. And then it crescendos. And it's this loud bash. And then uh, it's feedback and... The 90s thing. Quiet, soft, quiet, soft, feedback, quiet, soft. Or, I mean, sorry, quiet, soft. Quiet, loud, loud, quiet, loud. loud, yeah. (laughs) Quiet, soft. (laughs) It's Trent Reznor. That's his shtick. That's what he he does. And uh, the Johnny Cash cover in 2002 uh, was a big deal. Because he was, like, minutes from dying. 
Um, yeah, and, and we all we all knew it, and so did he. He knew it, and he was fine with it. <clears throat> um, it was a commercial and critical hit. Uh, the music video was really good. You remember the video, right? Oh, yeah. And um, it was considered one of the greatest videos of all time by uh, New Music Express. Reznor praised Cash's interpretation of the song for its sincerity and meaning, quote-unquote, going so far as to say, quote, that song isn't mine anymore. That's for sure. And he was right. When Reznor was asked if Cash could cover a song, Reznor said that he was flattered, but worried that, quote, the idea sounded a bit gimmicky. He became a fan of Cash's version, however, once he saw the music video. Now, that's very telling, right? Like, it wasn't enough just to hear Johnny Cash's vocal. I understand the gravitas of the video, but, like, wh- why wouldn't you just have liked his vocal? Like, it didn't solidify right. until you had an actual visual. <clears throat> yeah, he just needed, well... Yeah, Which I, I think is very telling of the time. Right. And he needed the visual to really hit it home, yeah. Um, yeah, because it was, you know, Mark Romanek directed it, who worked with Trent Reznor on all his crazy-ass videos. Um, you know, what's this? I wanna fuck you like an animal. That video with the cockroaches and the weird you know, uh, sepia tone things. Romanek, that was his big deal. Um, in the video, oh, he says, uh, I pop in the video and wow, tears welling, silence, goosebumps, wow. I felt like I just lost my girlfriend because that song isn't mine anymore. It really made me think about how powerful music is as a medium and art form. I wrote some words and music in my bedroom as a way of staying sane, about a bleak and desperate place I was in, totally isolated and alone. Somehow that winds up reinterpreted by a music legend from a radically different era genre and still retains sincerity and meaning, different but every bit as pure. And the director, Mark Romanek, had this to say about his decision to focus on the House of of Cash Museum in Nashville. It had been closed for a long time. The place was in such a state of dereliction. That is when I got the idea that maybe we we could be extremely candid about the state of Johnny's health as candid as Johnny has always been in his songs. When the video was filmed in February of 2003, Cash was 71 years old and had serious health problems. His frailty is clearly evident in the video. He died seven months later on September 12th. His wife, June Carter Cash, who is shown gazing at her husband in two sequences of the video, had died on May 15th of the same year. In July 2011, The music video was named one of the 30 all-time best music videos by Time magazine. It was ranked the greatest music video of all time by New Music Express. The house where Cash's music video for Hurt was shot, which was Cash's home for nearly 30 years, was destroyed in a fire on April 10th, 2007. Jesus. Right? Right. The the planet is really just wiping the slate of him in every capacity. Like, are his kids okay? Jesus. Well... Doesn't Roseanne have health problems? Didn't something, Oh, I don't know. Something, something's up with her. Like, I want, I want to say like a voice thing, like with Linda. Oh, Ronstadt, maybe. Well, maybe well, we haven't heard from her in quite a while. A long time. Yeah, I remember reading something about her not being. Her health was weird. Um, so you know the Trent Reznor, it's ooky and spooky, and you know his fans debated. Well, it's about a suicide. No, it's about this. No, it's about that. But it's Trent Reznor. It's creepy. And the Johnny Cash is fucking Johnny Cash. He's months away from dying in his old raggedy voice, and he sang it like he wrote it, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah. So, um, 
You know, honestly, I've only heard the Johnny Cash version. Oh, well, no, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I? I mean, yeah, I yeah. don't think I've ever heard the Nin version. <laughs> Nin. <laughs> well, we'll hear the Nin and the John versions and get back to you. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real If I could start 
So, uh, the Trent Reznor original version, I like it, but it's annoying because he has to be so Trent Reznor. Uh, that weird, it's like a minute of just <laughs> weird wind tunnel sound blowing over the top of a Coke bottle. He has to do a slow grind to get to the well, the meat of it. A la funeral for a friend. Thank you. Yes. But funeral for a friend is better. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> your water is wet. Yeah. Um, uh, it's Trent Reznor. Uh, well, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, whatever. Um, Johnny Cash wins. Yeah. By leaps yeah. and bounds. Leaps and bounds. Hands down. Even for people who've never seen the video, yes, it adds a lot of gravitas to it, and you should see it. You should watch it. But just listen to them back to back first, and then watch the video and see if you're going to be like Trent and if it's going to seal the deal for you. Because I think his vocals should be enough. I don't even know if he played the guitar in that song. Johnny Cash? Yeah. Was he uh, able to play I guitar don't know. Then? He probably didn't. I think, if I recall, he may appear to be playing it in the video. I know he has the guitar in his lap. I just don't remember. Yeah, I think think he is supposedly playing it in the video, but he is probably not on the track. Track, yeah. That's probably, maybe it's Trent. You know, I think it was all he could do to sing that shit at that point, you know? Yeah, because he looked like he was propped up in there. It was almost a something at Bernie's situation. (laughs) Yeah. He was uh, toward the end there. Yeah. So that was song number six. That is episode 18 of Original Versus Cover. Uh, It was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot to come back with. A lot of covers for the songs, and Paul is going to kill me when he edits this thing together. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So sorry, Paul. So, yeah, that's episode 18. Stay tuned for episode 19. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. It's been a while. It's good to be back. And yeah, we'll see you for 19. Bye.